All right. Well, let's go ahead and get rolling today. It's a nice day today. I think we've got another month of niceness, I hope. Um, all right, so we are moving along. We have we do have a handout, similar to what we did at the mine over on that um, music stand that doesn't work. So we have some of those for you if you are a blank filler inner. We have blanks to fill in. We are out of the Exodus. If you were there on or at the mine Tuesday night, we talked about the wandering um, with Moses. Um, we walked through uh, a couple pretty cool stories. Obviously, there's so much to talk about in Moses' last 40 years um, that we, we couldn't cover everything. But just to give you a, an idea of where we're at uh, chronologically now, we are moving up on to Joshua and the conquest um, into the Promised Land. So we are right around 1400 BC, BC, somewhere around in there. And so obviously if you remember, or if you walked in through them, Noah, we try we place approximately 2500 BC. And then we've got um, Abraham at about um, 2,000. So anything dealing with Noah, obviously before the flood, people were living <laughs> pretty long, so they cover entire signposts out there. But for basically from Genesis 12 uh, is 2,000 B.C. Um, and after. So between 2,000 and 1,500, who's at 1,500? Moses. So that 500-year span that's in your um, Journey 180 um, booklet, that 500-year span, about 400 of those years, the Bible's just silent. There's nothing that happens between Abraham. Obviously, we go from Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. Um, Jacob's name ends up becoming Israel. One of his 12 sons, um, Joseph, ends up getting sold into slavery. He ends up becoming going from shepherd Sort of annoying little brother. There's not much you can say bad about Joseph, so but we always have to say something bad about everybody in the Bible. So he was probably just annoying. <laughs> he was an annoying little tattletale. Um, but aside from that, he was a pretty pretty cool guy. But Joseph um, went from that little brother, that little shepherd, and ended up going up into about um, the second of command in Egypt. So it was a pretty powerful move. Um, we've talked about this before, but obviously we, we place that somewhere around the 18th dynasty, possibly the 19th, but most likely the 18th dynasty. Um, and then after Joseph, there's a period of years where um, slowly the pharaohs came and went, and the memory of Joseph slipped away, and then all of a sudden the, the Hebrews or the Israelites were enslaved. That was about 400 years, and then arrives on the scene um, Moses, Moses is around 1500. Some would place myself somewhere around 1530 would be when he was born. So then you can just add 40 years onto that, or since it's negative, you can subtract 40 years onto that. So 1490 there and around would be um, when he fled to Midian. Um, 1450 there and around would be when he uh, led the Israelites out. And then that would put about 1410 when he died, and therefore now we're transitioning um, into Joshua. So the first five books of the Bible were written by Moses. Now we're getting into Joshua, who wrote Joshua. And so Joshua is a, a, a pretty incredible story. It is the war book of the Bible. So a lot of great wars um, happen in Joshua. Joshua is a skeptic's dream because there's a lot of atrocities that happen in and throughout Joshua. So 
Um, our friends Richard Dawkins and all those other guys would love to point out how God doesn't love anybody um, because of what's happening in Joshua. And truth be told, there's, there's some tough stories, some tough um, pills we have to swallow um, in dealing with Joshua. So as we, as we move on, now we're, we're taking, if you have your sort of global map, we are on the east side, the east side of the Jordan River. Now the Jordan River, Israel, you can all sort of picture Israel, this um, long country. Uh, you got the Sea of Galilee on top, and you got the Jordan River that winds all the way down um, around Jerusalem. Um, this river is in um, the Jordan River Valley, and that valley is within a greater valley, um, um, basically a continental dr- or rift that goes all the way from there and actually goes all the way down in Africa. So if anybody's been um, to Haruma and, we've, and you've gone out onto the safari, we stop always and look at the big rift. Well, that rift goes all the way up into Jerusalem um, from Kenya. So... This water flows down. On the way down from the Sea of Galilee, it picks up quite a bit of salt and ends up dumping out into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is the Dead Sea because it's filled with salt and nothing can live in there, um, therefore dead. So we've got the entirety of Israel. Israel's already started to fight some battles. Again, Moses and um, um, was, was well averse at um, leading armies, so he, he knew that well. Israel was um, quite formidable at that time. In fact, Israel is starting to um, gather a name for itself. People are starting to hear not only of the victories that Israel is winning, but God's getting a lot of the glory because of these victories. Um, not only that, but a lot of people are hearing of the like the crossing of the Red Sea and so forth. So we get to Joshua chapter 1. So let's look at chapter 1 real quick. Let's go ahead and read it. After the death of Moses, this is verse 1, after the death of Moses, servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give you, or I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river to the Euphrates, all the Hittite country and the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So the first thing we need to understand is they're heading into the promised land. So Moses is now dead, which had to have been quite... A, a big scene for Israel because that's all they've known. Moses has been their leader, and now Joshua has to step into leadership. and And I don't know if you've ever followed the the shoes, or in this case, the sandals of someone who was a great leader. That's a hard thing to do. That's a hard thing to do. So Joshua has got some big sandals to fill as as far as um, leadership goes. Um, God reinstates his promise that he gave to Moses by the way that he also gave to Abraham way, way back in the day, laid out exactly where the promised land is. Now, a lot of people think the promised land is just modern-day Israel. That's not the case. Did you see how far the promised land extended? Okay, it goes all the way to the Euphrates, which is way, way to the east. 
So if you have maps in the back, you can see what God actually intended for Israel to have and ultimately what Israel ended up with. Not just now, but what they ended up with even in Jesus' time. The Israelites settled for way less than what God had promised. Okay? So, verse 6. Powerful verse. This is one of those memory verses, one of those that you might want to underline. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then, and then's an important word, then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. All right? So God is reinstating what Moses already said in Deuteronomy. Okay? If you follow God and you keep his word close to your heart, close to your mind, you will be successful. So make sure God is number one. It goes all the way back to the Shema that we talked about at the mine. Deuteronomy 6. Okay, so make sure that God is number one. All right? So that, that's important. Joshua is told that. And then we get, let's go up to chapter 2. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies um, from Shittim. Go look over to the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. All right, Rahab would be a, a, a big character. We want to pay attention to what happens um, with her. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out, bring out, to the, or bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy on the whole land. But the woman who had taken the two men had hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I do not know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did in um, Shehan and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is a God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death." 
Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell um, what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through a window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she has said to them, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until you return, and then go on your way. The men said to her, This oath you made us will be binding on us unless, when we enter the land, you have, tie, you have tied the scarlet cord and the, in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother and brothers and all your family in the house, if anyone goes outside of your house in, in the street, the blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if, if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell us or tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them, sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given us, or given the whole land, into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Okay, so there's a pretty cool story. Okay, sounds familiar, what happened 40 years earlier. Okay, a couple spies went, or a couple spies went in. How many in total? Twelve came in. As they headed out, how many were for and how many were against? Two were for, ten were against. This time they said just a couple spies in there. Um, notice they met up with who? Rahab, and what was her occupation? She was a prostitute. Now, in years to come, people tried to uh, lessen that, um, but the Bible clearly says um, she was a prostitute. Okay? Notice the king. Knew, knew, or knew that Rehab, or Rahab, <laughs> Rahab, Rahab had, had um, met with these guys. Rahab told what? Yeah, she, she basically lied to the king. So again, we get one of those sort of situational ethics where, well, is it okay to lie and all that? We need to understand that when these things happen, God never says, well done, good and faithful servant, for you lied. And he never says that. He doesn't necessarily condone lying. But he does, he did bless her as he did with the midwives, her midwives uh, many years earlier for being more obedient to God and keeping God at the forefront over the earthly king when the king um, was going against God. Notice Rahab in the way she talks about God. Okay? She talks about the Lord as if he's her Lord, as if she actually believes in God. And this is a powerful statement. Rahab, if you look in the Bible, is the first non-Jewish convert to God. The first person in all the Bible that is, that is a convert that, is not, that does not come out of Israel. Rahab is important, and we'll tell you how important she is as we get going. Okay? 
Rahab not only knows the, knows the God, she's heard all the stories. She's sort of like a mouthpiece, as many prostitutes would be. They, they not only um, are with the lowest of the low, but they're also with the Senate and the kings and all that kind of stuff as well. So Rahab knows quite a bit what's happening in Jericho. Okay, Jericho at this time was about two to 5,000, most likely. Um, Jericho was a fortified city to where it can be totally sealed up and no one can get in. And we'll, we'll show you on your little um, handouts, you sort of see a picture of what um, Jericho would have looked like. You had a huge retaining wall at the bottom and then you had an, uh, an additional wall that was built on top of that. You had a section in between and then another wall. This section in between was where would be the slums. This is where the lower of the low would be because that's not really a good place to put your house necessarily, uh, on the first um, wave of defense. So all the richer people or the middle class, the king obviously would have been in the center of the city. So Rahab not only was in this, this piece of the wall, but it says that her house was actually built into the wall. Okay, So the back part of her house would have been this wall Okay, on one of the sides, most likely the north side, and we'll get to that in a second. Okay, And so the spies came in. She, she hid the spies and then lured, lured them out the window, which would have let them flee into where, where were they told to go. Yeah, so she actually gave them directions on, hey, you should go this way. So Rahab was, was pretty smart. She knew exactly how to get around things. Um, she knew um, the territory. She knew the best hiding places. So she, she knew some um, military advice. She knew how long they should wait. Um, so she knew things rather well. Whether she inherently knew this or she overheard how they were going to chase down the spies, and so she told them in a, uh, told them all the news, we don't know. Rahab makes a deal with the spies, saying, they, I, hey, I've hidden you, I've helped you out, and I will continue to help you out. Can you spare me, and not only me, can you spare my mom, my dad, my brothers, sisters, and relatives? Okay, and then basically the spies, um, who were the mouthpiece for Israel, in other words, they're also the mouthpiece for God, said, yes, we will, as long as you uphold your end of it. So this is another example of a covenant that both ends had to hold. If one end didn't hold, the other one was um, released from that. Okay, so they, they leave, um, and they go back, they tell Joshua, and everything is set for the attack. Okay. So they're on the east side. Now Jericho is filled with Canaanites. Um, the entire land of Palestine is filled with Canaanites. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 10. I told you a long time ago that Genesis chapter 10 is one of the more important chapters and one of the most non-read chapters because it's basically just a genealogy of people. But whenever you get to places where you go, hmm, who are those people? It always helps to go back and go, oh... That's who they are. And so we look at Genesis chapter 10, and we get into verse 15. Now, Genesis chapter 10 gives basically Noah's three sons, Japheth, Ham, and Shem. So we get to the Hamites, and it starts out in verse 6, and we see all the sons of Ham. And then we get to um, 13, by the way, Mizraim. That's where the ancient Egyptians come from. That's the line they come from. Um, then we get to Canaan. Canaan was the father of um, Sidon, his firstborn, and of the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, um, Gerga, whatever, uh, Hivitites, 
archetypes, Sinites, um, so all the ites, basically, they all seem to come from Canaan. And you will see a lot of these names listed throughout the Old Testament. Israel's fighting the Hivites. Israel's fighting the Amalekites. Israel's fighting the Canaanites. Well, they, they all come from Canaan. Now, a lot of times, instead of going more direct and saying this was the Amalekites, if it was a group of them, they just went one level up and said these are the Canaanites. Okay? So much like saying, oh, instead of fighting Arizona, we're fighting the United States, because Arizona is a subsection of the United States. Okay? It also comes into play that Canaan also has another play in history. Anybody know from Genesis first 11 chapters where Canaan comes into play? Who's his father? Anybody? Yell it out. Okay, who's Canaan's father? Let's look. Okay. The sons of Ham, Cush, Mizraim, Put, Canaan. So Canaan was Ham's son. If you remember the story, when um, sometime after the flood, probably a little ways after the flood, um, and as uh, Noah and his three sons, their wives, and Noah's wife exited the ark, at some point Noah planted a vineyard. Noah got drunk from the vineyard. And remember the story where Ham goes in and sees his father naked, goes out and sort of tells the other two brothers, and he sort of, it, it sort of indicates that he sort of bragged about it, or he might have even had some kind of sexual-type vibe with that. The other two brothers, Japheth and um, Shem, go in backwards with, with, with a blanket and lay it over Noah, showing incredible respect um, for their father. Okay? As Noah comes out, he talks about his three sons, and, and he blesses two of them, Shem, and he blesses Japheth, and then he curses who? Not Ham, Canaan. So he actually doesn't even curse Ham, the one that actually did the bad deed. He actually goes down and curses his youngest son, okay, which is Canaan. So Ham was um, the youngest son of Noah. He cursed um, Ham's youngest son, Canaan. All right, this is important. What, what, is he, what does he curse him? He said, you will be a servant of servants, basically. Now, for, for many years, that verse was used in a negative way and an unbiblical way. Number one, people said, well, the Hamites are cursed. That's not true. Just the Canaanites are cursed, not all the Hamites. And basically, um, people would say, well, the reason why it's okay to go to Africa and enslave all the black people is because of the curse of Ham. And um, it, th- this is biblical. And the clan used this verse over and over again to say, hey, this is a justified enslavement because the Bible itself says they will be slave of slaves, which is not really a good translation. Servant of servants. Um, but again, it's not him. And as we talked about before, all three sections, the Japhites, the Semites, and the, the Hamites, have as light as light can be, and as dark as dark can be. So it is a misnomer that only the Hamites are, are dark-colored skin. Okay? So what it is, is it plays out that Canaan actually has this curse. And it does play out into history that the Canaanites would be subservient um, to Israel. Okay? Now, as we get towards the whole, the whole time where we're supposed to, where Israel is supposed to go in and conquer um, Canaan, it is pretty brutal, okay? Not only in Deuteronomy, but it's reemphasized in Joshua where God says, 
You need to go in there and you need to wipe it out. You need to wipe it out. Don't leave anything behind. Man, woman, child, wipe it out. Here's the reason why, and it's, it is definitely a tough pill to swallow, but as we understand it, it makes a little more sense. The Canaanites, over any other group of people, were as evil as you could possibly get. They most resembled pre-flood civilization. They worshipped a god called Molech. Okay? Now, Molech was a god that um, you've probably seen statues of him in your history books. He sort of got that the weird, weird, like, bull's head. Um, a lot of times he's a golden statue. His arms are held out. His arms are held out on purpose is because part of Molech worship is child sacrifice. And so families would come, husband and wife, and they would bring their children to Molech and watch as the child slid from the palm of the hands into a hole in the statue and burnt, got burned alive. Okay? And this was a child sacrifice. And they did this not for their own lives. They did this for money. Okay? They did this for money because the promise is if you sacrifice your child, there would be more prosperity in your family and your family would be able to move up. And so it was a deplorable, not that child sacrifice is ever good, but to do it just for some money is... It doesn't, it's crazy. Okay? They weren't doing it out of threat or they, their God would judge them. This was just basically a money, money grab. And the Canaanites were famous for this. Okay? The Canaanites were also famous for their sexual um, tendencies. Out of all the people groups, they were the ones that um, we get Sodom and Gomorrah and we get all the, just the, the orgies and, and the, just the depravity. All stems back to Canaan, or the Canaanites. Now, some will say part of the sin of of Ham looking at his um, father was that he was doing it in in a um, non-biblical way. Um, And some say maybe Canaan was actually with them and they might have done some acts. The Bible's silent on that. We don't know. But whatever happened, it was bad enough that Noah issued the curse um, on to Canaan, and it does plow into history. You look at the Amalekites, you look at any line that came from Canaan, and they were about as lost and as deplorable as you could possibly get of a society. And so God, in many cases in the Old Testament, is using Israel to enact judgment. This isn't judgment that was not pre-warned. Um, these people were pre-warned. You need to turn back to God. You cannot sacrifice children. You cannot do this. And over and over and over and over and over again, they, they did not listen, and so God enacted justice. Why the children? Don't know. Don't know. But there, there are some theories as to why, why would you um, get rid of all the children as well. Well, if you got rid of all the parents, there, it, would, it would actually probably be worse for the children if you left them alive and left them to fend for themselves. Um, another um, thought that's been brought up is the age of accountability. The best thing you can do for those children is get them to heaven before they turn into um, the sins of their forefathers. We don't know. Um, it, it, again, it's a, tough, it's a tough thing, but God, as we know, is a God of justice and he's a God of love. He had his reasons for wiping out the entire segment of that, that people group. Um, the other thing that played out is Israel never actually did that. They always left people alive. They always left a certain segment, especially the women, 
and they would intermarry, and it would always, always cause problem. Whenever that happened, Israel all of a sudden started worshiping Molech. Israel was famous for worshiping the one true God, but then, just so they could keep peace, they would also worship some of the other idols as well. Okay, they would coexist. Okay, and Solomon even did this. Um, the wisest man on earth set up a statue to Molech at one point. So, um, as God's saying, you need to do exactly how I said it. He had a reason, and and as we look back in history, it's probably um, a good reason. So let's move on to um, chapter six. Chapter 4, um, um, well, real quick, we don't have time to go. Chapter 3, um, there is another miracle. Um, Israel crosses the Jordan. Um, if you know the difference between the Jordan and the Red Sea and where they were crossing, this is actually probably even a, a bigger miracle than actually crossing the Red Sea. The Jordan was, um, in most cases, incredibly impassable, um, especially during flood season when this was happening. And yet God, again, much like the Red Sea, um, divinely allowed Israel um, to cross the Jordan. Now, this is from the east to the west, so if you know your map of Israel, it's coming from um, the east side, which gives more credence to the fact that the wandering was over in what we now know as Saudi Arabia, not in the Sinai Peninsula. Okay, If they were wandering for 40 years in the Sinai Peninsula, why would they go all the way like that to, to get? So most likely the wandering and Mount Sinai is over in Saudi Arabia, not the Sinai Peninsula. All right, so we get to um, chapter 5. Chapter 5, you, you're more than welcome to read that, but basically the entire army um, is circumcised. Now, some are asking, well, weren't they circumcised a while ago? Yes, and then that generation died. And so now this generation um, needed to be circumcised again, or at least the ones that weren't. So the entire army is circumcised. Um, then there's a, a period of waiting as they heal. I would call it a period of mourning. And then they would move on. And now we get to chapter 6. Chapter 6 is a fairly famous um, chapter. Um, most of us knew it. Some of us knew it from flannel graphs. Some of you know it from Veggie Tales. But chapter 6 Verse 1, now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went in, or no one went out, and no one came in. So what that means is all the city gates were shut. Okay, so not only the outer walls, but the inner walls. Everything was shut up. They had a lot of um, grain. It was during harvest season, so they had a lot of grain. Um, archaeologists and historians believe that Jericho could have probably lasted a year or so under siege. Um, in the ancient times, a lot of times cities had these walls that totally went around it, and when a, a, a massive force came against it, they would shut up the cities, they would put their um, archers, or um, depending on what level in um, armament they were at, or their, their whatever, they would put their protection up on the top of the walls, and they would just wait. And a lot of times they would try to wait them out. And one of the ways to win those victories is just to circle the city and just wait them out. Wait till they starve to death, until they're forced to come out. And a lot of those cities, it, it got pretty brutal, where people started cannibalizing each other because there was nothing else to do. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say it took years or months. Um, it took a very short time, and we'll see how that plays out in archaeology. Um, then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumps. 
or trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse, and the people will go up, every man straight in. Okay? Now, as us Christians read this, we go, oh, yeah, God's going to provide. You need to stop and pause for a second at how idiotic that sounds. As you are, <laughs> you're a nation that um, is, is, has been fighting for a little while now. Joshua is a military leader. And here comes the big plan. And a lot of times, as even today, we look at the Bible and go, that's God's plan for my life? That's ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense. Why would I do that? There's a shortcut. Why doesn't God think of the shortcut? What God tells Joshua to do absolutely goes against any military strategy you could possibly ever think of. Okay? The only military strategy that honestly would work in the worldly scope of things is to just lay siege and wait them out. But that's not what he says. Okay? He says you're going to walk around the city. The priests are going to go in front. They're going to blow on ram's horns. And on the seventh day, they're going to do it seven times. And they're going to go around. Okay? So imagine Joshua telling that to his leaders in the tent. And then sort of going... <laughs> um, so Joshua, son of man, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And by the way, we will get to the Ark of the Covenant. I know it's been brought up already, but I'm going to wait to a time um, to talk about that. Um, take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the people, advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of, of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the people, Do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word, until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling at once. Then the people returned to camp and spent the night there. Okay? So... There's probably a little bit of gossip going around in the camp. Could you, uh, could you imagine that? Um, I can imagine maybe the wives, as the, as the husband comes back from his, his campaign, and, so what do you think of that, honey? Uh, what would you do? <laughs> that sounded foolish. But I want you to pay attention to some other person. What do you think Rahab's thinking right about now? Okay? The entire time, she's in there with her family. Her family is all, she's, trust me, trust me, trust me. They're going to spare us. And, oh, here they come. I can hear them. Okay, prepare, prepare. Where'd they go? Because <laughs> okay. this Rahab has no idea this is happening. This is God's plan. So imagine her faith each and every day as she's expecting God to show up and God, in her mind, is not showing up. Okay? So this gives even more credence to the fact that Rahab had incredible faith. Because I don't know about you, but after the first day, I would have went, oh, that's weird. After the second day, I would have went, oh, they're messing with me. The third day, I might have went, okay, let, let's just leave the house, which would have blown everything. Okay? Rahab's stayed fast. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark in the, of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching, uh, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The ark, or the armed men, went ahead of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned from camp. They did this for six days. 
Now we get to the seventh day. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. Except that on that day, they circled the, the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in there are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab, okay, only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. By the way, this is sounding an awful lot like Noah's Ark. Okay, seal yourself inside. Everything, all the people around you are dying. Seal yourself inside. The Lord will provide. Um, but keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. That's an important verse. Um, otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to the destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the people shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in, and, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Joshua said to the two men who had spy, spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring, her out, or bring out all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done... The spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. She brought out her entire family and put them in place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. They put the silver and the gold and articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. At that time, Joshua pronounced the solemn oath, Cursed before the Lord is the man who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations, and at the cost of his youngest son, he will set up its gates. So the Lord um, was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. Crazy Cool story, all right? So they did exactly as the Lord commanded. Rahab also did exactly as the Lord had commanded. She stayed in. Seventh day, they went around seven times, they blew the trumpet, um, everyone shouted, and then the walls collapsed, and then all heck breaks loose, okay? So what are they supposed to spare in the city? Anybody? Rahab and everybody in her house, her family, Anybody that was in there. So imagine the, the dumb uncle said, oh, I'm not going in there. Okay. Everybody that was in that house um, was spared. All right. Also, the gold, silver, bronze, iron, all that stuff was taken and put into the treasury. And we'll get to what the temple looked like, the, the temple that was actually moving at that time, the tabernacle. All that was put into the treasury. And what was the command with that? Do not take any of that for yourselves or you will bring destruction on all of Israel. Or that will happen in chapter 7. Okay? And then, what's to be destroyed? Everything else. Everything else. Man, woman, child, cattle, donkey, ox, any food, fruit, grain, wheat, everything was 
burnt, okay, done away with, and none of it was taken out, okay? So, here's how this whole thing works. If you look at your, if you look at your map, you see how, let me see if I can, okay, I'm not necessarily known as the best artist in the world, so if I draw something funny, just giggle to yourself. All right, so, there's Israel. All right, there they are. All right, so they're on the outside looking in. You have this retaining wall. And then on top of the retaining wall, you have this other wall. And then you have a 30-degree slope. And then you have another retaining wall. And then you have the entire city. Okay? In between here is where the slums would most likely have been. In here is the city proper. Um, these walls, mud and brick... Um, this was part of the mountain and retaining wall built into the mountain. This is really, uh, Jericho's uh, fascinating city. It's really, and you can't get in. It, it was well done. Okay? And so, the way people would do it is they would either siege, or if they wanted to try to do it, they would put up ladders or ropes, and they would try to move up into the city. And these dudes up here, these are the Canaanites, much smaller than the Israelites. They they would they would just just throw fire, um, hot <laughs> hot um, coals, whatever it would take, and it was really hard to get in. Okay, so how did God solve this issue? Okay, keep in mind this is still a heavy wall, and this is part of the mountain. Well, the genius behind God's plan is when the walls collapsed, they not only collapsed, but when they collapsed, all the rubble formed a bridge. And so the Israelites, they didn't have to even worry about this wall. They just climbed on up and stormed stormed up in. This wall no longer existed. Okay? And that's that's how they that's how they got in. Okay? So archaeologists back in um, the last century finally uncovered the city of Jericho. Um, there is historical um, documents that talk about other people trying to rebuild Jericho, and it never worked out for that ruler. Okay? Um, Jericho was finally found, and it is exactly like this. They found the retaining wall, and they found a bunch of rubble of uh, a mud, mud-type brick wall. Okay? Inside the city... They found entire jars of clay, big old jars filled with wheat to the top, okay? which is unheard of in archaeology. Why? Because that's incredibly valuable. So when someone would sack a city, they would take all the food. Okay? Jericho was the one place in archaeological history where they found entire containers filled with food untouched. Okay? So it's pretty cool, uh, pretty cool to see some of that stuff. All right, so that's the story of Jericho. Now, one of the questions, as archaeologists are looking at Jericho, they did find on the northern side a piece of the wall, just one piece of the wall that was still standing. And it was facing the north side. The north side is where the wilderness was found. Of course, it's extra biblical, but it would make more, more than enough sense that that piece of the wall is where Rahab's house was. Again, that's... We're guessing, but it is pretty cool to see the archaeologists find just one piece of the wall that's still sort of standing, and we know that Rahab's um, house was built into the wall, so that would that would make sense. Because if the wall came crashing down, that means her house would have come crashing down too. So God obviously had to leave a piece of that wall standing. All right. 
So we get into chapter 7. Again, we're running out of time. Chapter 7 deals with Achan's sin. This is a guy who did not listen to God, and he brought destruction not only on himself, but his entire family. It seems to um, that Achan, it doesn't seem, Achan did steal some, I believe he stole a robe, and he stole some silver and gold, and he placed it in his tent, and he hid it, and it sounds like his family sort of helped him hide it. Um, Israel ended up losing the next war. They couldn't figure it out, and all of a sudden they found out um, that someone disobeyed God's command. And again, when you disobey God's command, his promise is immediately lifted. Okay? This is not an unconditional covenant that he has with his people. Okay? The minute they walk away from him, they're walking away from his protection. Okay? So let's move on. Um, again, Joshua walks through conquest after conquest after Israel um, defeats all these people. Now, they don't go full on like God commands, and that would come to play um, in future times. Um, I want to touch on chapter 10, because there's actually a pretty cool miracle that happens here. We'll start in verse... Um, um, verse 7, basically. So Joshua marched up to Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. None of them will be able to withstand you. After, uh, verse 9, After an all-day march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, who defeated them in the great victory at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road, going up to Beth Horon, and cut them down um, all the way um, to Azekah and um, Makedah. As they fled before Israel on the road to Ben-Horon, uh, um, to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them. So God is actually assisting more than just um, um, assisting the men. He's actually doing some cosmic things as well. And more of them died from the hailstones that were killed um, by the swords of the Israelites. On that day, the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel. Now listen to what Joshua says. Joshua is starting to get some courage. Okay, remember God says you need to have courage. Okay, Joshua's getting courage. He's being encouraged by who? God. That's another word for faith. Okay, he has faith. Listen to what he says out in front of everybody. O sun, stand still over Gibeon. O moon, over the valley of, uh, whatever that is, Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself um, on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jesar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all of Israel to the camp at Gilgal. A lot of times, again, as we read through the Bible, sometimes we get speed reading and we just bypass stuff like that without going, whoa, whoa, what, what happened there? Joshua, did you catch that? Joshua commanded the earth, or commanded the sun to stand still. Now this, again, just like the, um, just like the um, Moses did with all the gods of Egypt, all those plagues were aimed at a different god, um, the Canaanites worshipped the sun. They worshipped the moon. And so Joshua's all, you know what? Sun, stop. Moon, stop. And the Lord stopped him for a day. Now, for those of you who have been in science before, what does that seem to indicate? 
Well, the world seems, the earth stopped on its axis. Okay? That's a crazy story. Okay? And the Bible, this doesn't seem like it's just paraphrasing or it's symbolic or something. It, it seems to be literal here that the earth stopped. Okay? Now, I'm assuming that God slowed it down slowly instead of, and everybody's like, hey, I'm in Egypt now. Um, so, I'm sure it was a, a, a slow process, but that still would cause some serious issues. Okay? If you look at um, Western Hemisphere, if you look at some of the ancient Indian um, history, there is a day called, called uh, it's not a day, it's called the night, the long night, uh, a night that lasted for like 24 hours, and then that's in some of their history. Of course, people say, well, that's myth. Well, it probably isn't. There probably was a day in the Western Hemisphere where they had a 24-hour night, because on the other side of the world, Joshua was in the middle of a 24-hour day. Um, so that seems to be the only way. Now, obviously, God is supernatural. God can do anything he wants, but it would, it would seem that the earth stopped and um, stopped on its axis. Um, that would cause some weird things with the ocean, because the, the ocean doesn't necessarily stop. Um, so I'm assuming some people are going, oh, hey, there's a wave, um, and, and stuff like that. By the way, I, wrote, I, I showed you on the bottom... If that would actually have stayed, obviously this was just one day, but if that would have actually stayed like that and the earth actually someday does stop on its axis, all the water would retreat to the north and the south. Um, I never knew that, but it would all retreat to the north and south. What keeps it in the middle is the centrifugal force. And so once that stops, all the water would go like that, and you'd have a land bridge going all the way around the globe. Um, so I, I thought that was funny, so I put that in there. All right, so pretty cool story, pretty cool story there um, that happened. Obviously, it was only one day, so the water probably wouldn't have done that, but I'm sure there would have been some flooding somewhere. Um, I'm sure there was a lot more water frozen that day up in the polar caps, um, but a lot of cool stuff happened, or a lot of, a lot of stuff happened there. Um, most of the rest of when Joshua just deals with battle after battle after battle. I want to draw your attention to the very last piece, um, Joshua chapter 24. And then we'll close with all those blanks that you're wondering if I'm ever going to fill in. Joshua chapter 24. And let's go ahead and start in verse 19. Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God, he is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. So again, he's warning, please, 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 only serve the Lord your God. Going back to Deuteronomy 6.4. Okay? Do not forsake him, leave him behind, in other words, for other gods, which, by the way, they will do over and over and over again. We'll see that in Judges. He will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, You are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods. That seems to indicate that they actually had them to throw away. So obviously already the Israelites are uh, messing around a little bit. That are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord, our God, and obey him. On that, Josh, uh, on that day, Joshua made a covenant um, for the people, and there at Shechem he drew up 
um, the decrees and laws. So he again warns them, please, please, please don't go away. Now I want to back up to verse 15 or 14. Joshua says before that, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your forefathers, worship beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord, and this is a key verse, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Powerful, powerful um, passage in the Bible. Again, Israel's biggest sin over and over and over again in the Old Testament was they served other gods. They mixed other gods. They mixed other beliefs in with theirs. It's not that they ever totally went away from the God of Israel. They just coexisted with other gods because it's to coexist is more peaceful, by the way. To coexist is easier. To not stand up for your beliefs is easier. To not offend anyone is easier. But it will always, always, always lead to destruction. And so... Moses, Joshua, the judges, every prophet, Jesus himself, the apostles, please love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That is your first command. Everything else hinges on that. Put God number one in your life. That's the Shema, Deuteronomy 6. Now, let's look at the bloodline of Christ, because this is important. Go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. Oh, and here's another one of those genealogies. Okay, this is a record of the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And it goes on down, and it follows the history that we've already talked about. But then we get to verse... Four, Ram, the father of Abinadab. Abinadab, the father of Nashlon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. So write Salmon, or Salmon. Write him on the left line. Salmon was the father of Boaz. Put Boaz right underneath. And then the next line. Whose mother was Rahab. It's better. Boaz was father of Obed. So put Obed down below. Whose mother was? Ruth. These people are all related. Obed was the father of Jesse. Next line down. And Jesse was the father of who? King David. Look at the history that was moved by a decision by a prostitute in a God-forsaken city called Jericho. Jesus' line, his bloodline, is traced back to a prostitute, to Rahab. Israel, God, accepted Rahab, brought her into the community. She married Salmon. Now, Jewish tradition, now the Bible's silent on this, Jewish tradition says that Salmon was actually one of the spies that ended up marrying Rahab. I was silent on that. Okay? 
their, their child Boaz will play, play out in the book of Ruth. By the way, if you haven't re- read Ruth, that's a powerful story. Okay? Boaz would end up marrying Ruth. Ruth was the great-grandmother of David. Okay? So that would mean Rahab was the great-great-grandmother of David. Okay? And then obviously you can track another 14 generations, you can track on down to Jesus. Okay? So these are powerful statements that, that if the Bible was just made up by man, can I tell you there's no way on this green earth that the God that a, a person made up would come from the lineage of a prostitute? They would have left that out. Why, why would you put that in there? Okay? Throughout the Bible, you see things that just don't make sense. That just don't make sense. And the reason why they don't make sense is because they're true. You see that in the New Testament. Why on earth would you have the women discover the empty tomb? Their witness meant nothing in a court of law. Their witness meant nothing. Why would you put that unless it actually happened? Okay? And so throughout history, we see that over and over again. Not only just weird things like that, but also the fact that the Bible exposes people's faults, their sins. And if this was a made-up story, you leave that out. Remember, winners write history. You don't write the faults of the people you look up to, the people that you worship. You leave that out. But the Bible brings all that in because it's true. And, and as you look at Hebrews chapter 11, and we go over and over again, because Hebrews chapter 11 is, is a powerful passage, powerful chapter in the Bible, all those people had issues. And at some point, God met them exactly where they were at. God met Rahab exactly where she was at. And she had a choice. And she chose God. And the Bible seems to indicate that she believed in God before the spies ever got there. Okay? God knew her heart, and he made sure her heart was spared. Now, she still had to act in obedience, and she did, but Rahab plays out in the history of Jesus, and, and it's powerful. And, and can you imagine as, as Matthew's going back and doing uh, the genealogy going, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? Yes. And, and, and so it's a pretty power, powerful um, story there. Rahab's one of my favorite characters in all the Bible. Um, she has a lot of faith, and because of her, um, great, um, great things happen. So let's close the, Yeah, let's close there. Um, any, any questions? Again, we're, we're flying through this, so you have your reader. Keep going through there. Um, um, and then this Tuesday night, um, for those who are there, those who will be listening online, We'll be going through the judges, and the judges, again, are chocked full of crazy stories, crazy characters, um, but there's one thread that you'll see in there that's, that's really powerful, and Israel is lame again. Um, Israel's always lame, it seems like, in the Old Testament, because Israel's human, because we're all lame at given times. So, any, any questions? Out there. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes. Um, what I did basically, it, it's just going down, but I added two of the wives on the right side. So, Sal- Salmon was the father of Boaz. So Boaz is right under Salmon on the right, or Salmon. I don't know how you, we should pronounce it. Under Boaz is Ob- Obed. Under Obed is Jesse, and under Jesse is David. To the right of Salmon is his wife Rahab, and to the right of Boaz is his wife Ruth.
So, and so that should add a little bit to the story of Ruth as you're, as you're reading through it, going, oh, well, Ruth's mother, <laughs> I mean, Ruth's uh, married into mother or, or stepmother is Rahab, so that's pretty cool. So any other questions at all? And by the way, there, there was one other time where um, God um, messed with your sortation, most likely, and we'll get to that um, in Kings, but there's a time where he redirected which way the shadow is going on steps, so that, again, probably indicates some kind of cosmic... So it's not just Superman that can do that to save people, it, and God's pretty good at that. So, any, anybody else? Yeah, there is, there is some indication. I, I should have brought that, actually, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to post that. Um, but there is, um, again, a lot of the ancient um, Aztec and, and all that, a lot of their history, um, there's just allusions to that type of stuff. Everybody obviously has a flood story. Everybody has. And so there's typically uh, allusions to that, but that did come up in one of those. So I'll research and find out exactly where that's at. But, I, but it is pretty cool. And again, we don't need those to corroborate the Bible. Um, again, we, we, we hopefully we have enough faith. But a lot of times when we're able to do this and look at it, we go, oh, at least it makes more sense. And it adds to our faith. And, and to understand that this isn't a Narnia, this isn't some sort of half-mythical area. This is actually true history um, of stuff that really, really happened. Um, and as we get closer towards Jesus, we'll start seeing the rest of the world come alive. We'll, um, so um, in a couple years, we'll, we'll show you. Once we get to David and Solomon, all of a sudden, the rest of the world's just popping. So we'll be able to talk about Homer and the Odyssey and the Iliad and, and all these other things, and we'll get into Greek philosophy. And so we'll be able to show you where all those different things happen. But right now, it's still pretty archaic. So most of it's happening in what's called the habitable zone, um, because I still believe the the polar caps on down, probably halfway to Europe and on up, are still pretty cold. It's <laughs> still pretty cold. Um, the, the, the frozen part hasn't receded yet. So most of the world's history is happening in this, what's called the habitable zone. So, all right. Cool. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity um, to be here today. We thank you um, for your story. We thank you for this thread that goes um, from Abraham all the way to the cross. And we thank you for what it means. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promise that if we uh, keep your word close to our heart and we obey your commands, that um, we will prosper. We will prosper according to your will, not necessarily ours. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for these incredible stories of your divine intervention in, in, into human history and how um, even people um, like Rahab, who the world would cast aside, would, would put at the very edge of their city that you saw her heart and you saw her faith and it was her you chose to be a great, 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 great grandfather or mother of Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the same promise holds true to us and that no matter how jacked up our lives are and no matter how bad we might think our past is, that at, at any time um, you will meet us exactly where we're at if we're humble enough um, to bow down to you and, and place you as the one God of our lives over everything. And because we have faith, you will do miraculous things through us. And we thank you for that promise. 
Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you for Cornerstone. We thank you for this morning's message that um, we can do it better together. And I just pray that that is true, that um, um, not only individually, but as a unit, um, a community, we will strive to serve you in everything and in every way. And we will um, take over Chandler and Santan Valley and the surrounding communities for you. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We love you. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, hopefully see some of you guys on the mine. If not, see you next Sunday.